Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Barrett, and welcome to Hope of Glory. Teaching and growing together through the Bible. This is Hope of Glory with Pastor Mark Barrett. Thank you for joining us today on Hope of Glory. Working for something is not the same as working something out. In today's message, we will be addressing the issue of working out your salvation. What is our responsibility to God after we are saved? Let's listen to God's word to hear the answer. Will you take your Bibles with me and join me as we turn to the book of Philippians in chapter 2. When I was a, um, an athlete, more of an athlete than what I am now, uh, in school playing various sports, uh, maybe you had the same experience that I had when uh, somebody on the team got injured or whether you got, maybe you got injured. And uh, I can remember my coaches, they would uh, kind of yell at us and they would say, get up, son, work it out, work it out, get the blood moving, get it back into the game, right? And uh, the idea was that uh, you were to try to stretch out that injury uh, to, to get the blood moving again and uh, make sure it's not too serious and, and, and get, get back into the game, work it out. Uh, there, were, uh, there were times when me and my brothers would get into an argument with one another and uh, we weren't able to come to a resolution. And so my, my mom, normally, uh, she would sit us down on the couch and she would say, now boys, you sit there and work it out. Meaning, uh, figure out the solution. Come to a conclusion about what you're arguing about. I can remember in math class, uh, we'd be sitting there and the teacher would uh, put a formula on the board and then they would turn around and they would say, okay class, now work it out. And what they meant was uh, work out the equation and, and come to the conclusion, come to the solution of the equation, work it out. And we have to do that in a lot of ways in our lives, don't we? There are some things in life that only we can do. There are some things in life that we are responsible for. We've got to work it out. We've got to get the blood moving. We've got to figure out the solution. We've got to work the formula, right? There are some things in life like that that only we can do. There are some similarities in the spiritual life. Having said that, I want to make it very clear this morning that the one thing that you and I could never ever work out on our own is to bring about our own salvation. There isn't anything that we can do or be and say or believe that would bring about our own salvation. But our salvation is wrought solely by putting our faith alone in Jesus Christ who went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins and rose again the third day and was victorious over the grave. And when we put our trust in what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary, that's what brings about 
our salvation. There isn't anything we can do to bring that about except putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Philippian church, here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, right away he says to them, to all the saints in Christ. Now, when you read that, you come to a conclusion of who he's writing to. He's writing to the church, right? He's writing to people who are already saved, people who have already placed their trust in Jesus Christ. They've made him Lord of their lives, and they're walking in fellowship with him. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's not talking to people who have said no to Jesus, who have turned their back on Jesus. He's talking to people who have already trusted in Jesus Christ for their eternal life. And again, that's one thing that none of us can do for ourselves. We cannot bring about our own salvation. But once we put our faith in Jesus, that begins a process in our lives. That, that, it, that, that results in a whole new way of life, a whole new way of living, a whole new way of walking. And now Paul begins to address those areas of our lives that we need to commit to the Lord and that we need to begin uh, paying attention to. Once we have the free gift of eternal life, there are indeed some responsibilities that you and I have as followers of Jesus Christ. We have the responsibility of working out our salvation. They say, now wait a minute, Pastor, you just told me that I can't do anything to save myself. And I'm, I'm sticking to it. There isn't anything that we can do to save ourselves. But that's not what the phrase means, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. It sounds very confusing, it sounds almost contradictory, but I want to talk to you this morning what it means about what it means to work out our salvation. Paul begins here in chapter 2 in Philippians by addressing some past obedience. And he begins in verse 12 by saying, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. I'll stop there for a minute. This was a church that Paul had confidence in. This was a church that had Christ at the center of their sights. They were being obedient to the will of God. They were following his word. They were, they were acting like Christians because they were Christians. And Paul says that just, he says to them, and I think he says this to us as well, that just as, as you are willing to obey God in his word, in my presence with you, Paul says to them, I'm asking you that you will obey God also in my absence. And so we are asked to do the same thing. Just as we listened to the word of truth and we obeyed the word of truth and we came to salvation in him, we're also to obey him in the same kind of way now that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And now he begins to develop this whole theme. And I want you to notice that he says, and much more so. As though this was adding a greater importance upon what he's going to say next. And then we see Paul's burden. <clears throat> he goes on to say in verse 12, Work out your own salvation with fear 
and trembling. Now, I want you to notice that he does not say, work for your salvation with fear and trembling. Words are really important here. He doesn't say, work for your salvation, but rather he says, work out your salvation. Again, we've already discovered that these are followers of Jesus. These are Christians. These are people who have put their faith in Jesus for eternal life already. And so, what is he talking about when he says, work out your salvation? Well, the key to this mystery can be unlocked in those words, work out. Those words mean to work something to completion. Now, I can hear somebody say, okay, so what you're saying to me, Pastor, is that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior by putting my faith in him, but now I have to complete my salvation. Is that what you're saying? No, that is absolutely not what I'm saying. I am not saying that you somehow have to complete your salvation. Um, Because when Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin... When he died on the cross of Calvary, this is what the Hebrew says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. He says that after he rose from the dead, it says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What does he mean by that? What he means is that his work of redemption was complete. When he paid the penalty for sin, rose from the grave, went to heaven to be with the Father, He sat down. What do we do at the end of the day? After our work is complete, we sit down, right? That's exactly what Jesus did. It was an indication, it was a picture that the the work of redemption had been completed once and for all. No more work was required. There was no more sacrifices required. There was no no more work on our part. We didn't have to do anything else. Jesus completed the payment, the penalty for sin. And so when Paul says, work out your salvation, listen, it's not like going to uh, the, the, the Home Depot and, and, and buying a brand new uh, barbecue. And that, that big barbecue, or it comes in a big box, right? Have you done that? And, and you take it home and you, you dump it out on your back patio and, and it's, in, it's in a hundred different pieces, right? Like the manufacturer started the work And you've got to complete what the manufacturer began in the plant by putting together the barbecue. That is not what we're talking about. Our working out your salvation is not like that. All right? That that is not the picture. Christ doesn't begin something in our life which we have to complete. In fact, when Christ gave you salvation... He completely saved you. (laughs) Amen? He completely saved you. No more work is required. In fact, he gave you the Spirit of God, and he gave you everything that is required to walk the Christian life. You have it all. Now, whether you use it is up to you. Whether you put it to good use, it's, it's up to you. But our position in Christ can never be improved. It can never be advanced. There isn't anything to be added to our salvation. However, our new position in Christ introduces a whole new process of life which involves both experience and development. It's like when you go to Home Depot and you buy the new barbecue 
and it comes in a big box, right? Have you done that? <laughs> and you take the big box and you dump it out on your, fat, your back patio and you put it together and it's sitting there and you're all proud of you only had like two pieces left over. And you go, well, it works. <laughs> and now what do you have to do? You just sit it there and you admire it, right? You just invite your friends over and say, hey, I just wanted you to see my new barbecue. They go, that's lovely. What are we going to eat? Oh, I just wanted you to see the barbecue. They would think you're absolutely out of your mind. Why did you spend all the money on the barbecue? Let's fire it up, light the propane, and let's make some burgers, right? That's all that is required of you now, is to light it up and to make some burgers. In Paul's day, there were mines all around Rome. They, they, they would mine ore, iron ore, and they would make swords and chariots and armor. They, they would work that mine until it was completely absent of any iron ore. They got every last bit of iron ore they could get out of it. Now, the iron ore was already there. They didn't produce it. They didn't make it. They didn't fabricate it. They, they had to mine it, however. They had to, they had to gather it together. The same, true, the same is true for harvesting crops, right? Those of you who are farmers, you plant the crop, and then when it's time to harvest your crop, you, you just harvest half the field, right? And you leave the other half because you got tired and you're, you know, it's late in the year, and I just let the rest stay there, right? No, you would, you would never think about doing that. You'd like, you harvest the whole field. You get it all out. It, you, might, you might be working at night, day and night. You harvest that field until you get the entire crop crop. The same is true in, in our Christian life. The context of this text has to do with completion. It has to do with conforming ourselves to Christ in obedience to his will, and we have some responsibility in doing that in our salvation. Our responsibility is to work out our salvation to its completion. You see, it's like putting the barbecue together, then the completion of that is to light the grill and make some burgers. The completion of gathering the iron ore is you've got to go in there and you've got to gather. You've, you've got to harvest your field. It came up, you planted the seed, it came. Now, you have to work it to completion. Our responsibility is to long for a deeper sense of Christ's presence in our life, a realization of his presence. He's present, but a realization of his presence. Our responsibility is to draw close to, is to long for, to invite the empowerment of the Spirit of God to enable us to be obedient to his word. That's our responsibility, is to long for that. Do you pray for it? Do you ask him for it? Do you, do you yield to him? Do you allow him to take control of your life? That's called lordship. That's called saying, Look, I don't want, I'm saved, but I want you to be lord. I want you to be king and ruler over everything. He's saying that there's so much more to be had as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants us to experience the whole thing as much as we can get out of it. In this, in this life that we live today. When my mom told my brothers and I to sit down and work it out, what she was not saying was, 
become brothers. I want you to sit down and become brothers. No, no, no. We were already brothers, right? We're always going to be brothers. It didn't matter what happened between us. We would always be brothers. You know what she was saying? She was saying, become more like brothers. You see the difference? Become more like brothers. Learn to cooperate. Learn more about your relationship with one another. Learn more what it's like to live together. And that's, I believe, what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you are saved. You're already saved. You're born again. You're going to heaven. Hallelujah. But hey, learn more about your salvation. Learn more about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. Long for that. Ask him for that. Really become one with the Savior and allow him to work in your life and allow him uh, learn to experience his working in your life in a way that you could never have otherwise. Don't just settle for being saved. Don't, don't just settle for, uh, I'm going to heaven, that's good enough for me. Huh? There's so much more. And this is what he's building in. He, he's building a case for there being more to living for Christ. And that brings Paul to some clarifying remarks. In verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now the Greek word for those words, work, who works in you, is the Greek word from which we get our English word, energy. Isn't that fascinating? Energy. You kind of think about that for a minute. It's interesting what happens when you put verse 12 and verse 13 together. The words work out in verse 12 are in a tense that means the subject, which is us, both performs and is affected by an action. That's the tense of that word. In other words, while we're busy trying to be obedient to the will of God, the word of God, and working out our salvation. Verse 13 comes along and says, oh, by the way, God is also at work in you. So the question is, is God doing the working or is it us doing the working? And the answer is yes. We're both doing the working together. And again, not for salvation because that's already been completed, but it's for the working out of our sanctification. Quite honestly, our own, our own energy is really pitiful in comparison to God's energy. And so when we work, we work with a realization that we're not working alone, but rather we are working side by side because our work alone, our energy alone is insufficient, but God is working in us to motivate us, to help us, to energize us, to be obedient, to accomplish his purpose in our life. And we just have to say, I'm willing. I need your help. And that's why Paul exhorts the Philippians and us that we should, as we began our spiritual life, 
in obedience and faith, continue to live it out in faith and obedience, in seeking a closer union, a closer relationship with him. The only way we can do that is through God's infinite power flowing through us. I can remember when we, when, when I, when we were younger and our, our children were young, um, but you know, they were probably five, six years old, something like that. Uh, I would be out, you know, mowing the lawn, and, and our children would, my, uh, yeah, they all at one point or another would come, and they would say, Daddy, can I help? Well, they were too young to push the lawnmower, right? So I would say, sure, and they, and they, would, they would get between me, and they would put their hands on the crossbar, right? Now, some of you are saying, oh, Mark, you didn't really do that, did you? Like, that's so unsafe, right? Okay, I'm old school, you know, learn by experience. <laughs> oh, you cut your foot off. Oh. <laughs> That's not so funny, really. But So they would get, they, so I was stupid, okay? I let them push the lawnmower with me. They would grab onto the, that little crossbar and, and we would walk together and we would mow the lawn, right? Now, was it them pushing the lawnmower or was it me pushing the lawnmower? Well, the reality was that they, they were not strong enough. They, they did not have the, the power themselves to push the lawnmower. So we were pushing the lawnmower together, but mostly it was me. It's just a great illustration of how God walks through life with us. And we need just to say, Daddy, I need your help. Father, will you just come and help me? I'm, I'm willing, I want to do this, I, I want to be obedient, I, I, I want to follow your will and your word, but Daddy, would you come and just, just help me? And then he comes alongside, and he helps us push, but it's mostly him. It's mostly him. In order for all of us to know the power of God, we, we just need to ask. We just need to say, Daddy, I, would you come and help me? And then Paul addresses what our duty in this dance is. And some of the Philippians must have been asking this question, maybe struggling with some of this in their own life, because Paul goes on to give them some examples of what, what, what he's talking about. What, what's my part? What do I have to do in this? In fact, those are probably some things that we were struggling with. In verse 14, he goes on to say, do all things without complaining and disputing. You go, well, why? I mean, you know, some things just I don't like that much. And so he goes on to explain that. He goes, well, I'm glad that you asked because that, verse 15, you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or, or labored in vain. In the original Greek, the order of the words in verse 14 is kind of significant. The word all in the Greek language actually comes first in that, in that verse. And so if you were to read verse 14 in, in the Greek language, you would start out with all. Why all? Most of us do some things without grumbling and complaining and arguing, right? But the problem is, he says, do all things without complaining and grumbling and arguing. The verb do comes second in the Greek language. So literally, it would read 
all do without grumbling and arguing. It indicates that not only should we do everything without complaining and arguing, but that we should do it at all times and in every circumstance without complaining and arguing. Uh Uh-oh, we're starting to feel a little uncomfortable, aren't we? You see, God's standard is that we have complete confidence in his goodness and in his blessings. And the only reason for us to be complaining and grumbling and arguing is that we've lost our confidence in his goodness. The word complaining, by the way, is talking about grumbling, whether verbal or nonverbal. All right, so none of this, oh, it was in my head kind of deal, right? We say, oh, well, you didn't hear it, so it didn't count. No, it's whether you say it or you think it. And the word disputing is a word from which we get our English word dialogue. The idea is that of reasoning or expressing an opinion that turns into an argument. So you see, whether, you're, whether you argue with God or you argue with yourself or you argue with one another, often it's a reflection of our lack of submission to God, to his will, and in recognition of his goodness. And what's the purpose of not complaining or arguing or disputing? Well, we read it in verses 15 and 16. The purpose is so that we can be completely absent of anything that would ruin or in some way mar our testimony. In verse 15, the word harmless means to be unmixed, pure, innocent of evil. Now, when you do an oil change on your car, I'm just imagining here that you probably only put oil in the car. Am I right? Like like you wouldn't say, hey, I'm going to save a little bit of money. Put half oil and half water, right? (laughs) You probably wouldn't get very far down the road, would you? No, no, no. You would say, I want all oil. I want the purity of what? Because as soon as you put water in there, you've introduced a foreign substance to your engine. And it's going to say, I don't like it. And you're probably going to do some damage to your engine if you put water in with oil. Well, in the very same way, he says, I want you to, to be pure. Uh, complaining and arguing, he says, introduces a foreign substance into your life that is incompatible with the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And when we refuse those elements, arguing, complaining, we're living a pure life. And that happens as we live in submission to Christ and we seek that relationship with him. We say, God, I need your help. I need your power here. And he brings purity. You see, the goal is always purity. Verse 15 says, shine as lights in the world. The word lights, by the way, did you know is the same word that we use for the stars in heaven? We could substitute luminaries. So shine as a luminary in the sky. By by contrast, he talks about a crooked and dishonest and perverse generation. You see, when Christians who are living blameless and pure are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, what's going to happen? We're going to stand out, right? Have you ever been to a jewelry store and, you know, you're looking at a nice diamond and and they bring it out and they put it on a piece of black velvet 
Have you experienced? Okay, the last time probably was when you got engaged. But you might be able to remember back that far. Uh, some of you maybe need to go to the jewelry store again. <laughs> they, put, they put it on a nice piece of velvet, right? Why did they do that? Because it causes the, the elements of the diamond to shine, to, just, to pop, to, to stand out, right? In the very same way, when you and I as Christians stand as blameless and pure in the world, what's going to happen? We're going to be luminaries. We're going to shine. We're going to pop in the world. People are going to notice. They're going to say, whoa, there's some, that's beautiful. There's something different about that person. You stand out. They can't help but notice the beauty. You see, our objective as Christians is not necessarily to be prideful and, you know, you know, make ourselves stand out. But we're not trying to be a spectacle, but as we live that way, blameless, pure, harmless, what's going to happen? We're going to stand out. People are going to notice. And it says the world sees that we're innocent and we're blameless. Guess what? We win the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus Christ because they're going to notice the difference and they're going to say, hey, you know, I've, I've noticed what, what, what's the difference? Like, what, why, why don't you do this stuff? Why aren't you like the rest of us? We win the opportunity to share Christ with them. And that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 16, holding fast the word of life. I think that should really read holding forth the word of life. Because what he's talking about is more than living a pure life, but now he's talking about sharing the word of life with the world. And then Paul concludes by saying in verse 16, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. When I was a kid, we used to sing a little uh, Sunday school song that had the words in it, uh, joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. Do you remember that song? You see, when Jesus is abiding in our hearts, the result is always going to be the flag flown high. It's always going to be overflowing joy because we'll see the results of living a life in harmony with God's will and his word. The world will always say the satisfaction comes from this, that, and the other thing, right? Oh, having this, doing that, going there. That's the world's uh, uh, kind of level of satisfaction. But Jesus says that joy comes from submission, and proving it by living a life of submission to God's will. And when we do that, we're just saying, God, I, I trust you. I believe that you're full of compassion and grace and goodness. You see, these are the marks of a person who is in the process of working out their salvation. Paul never said that that would be easy, by the way. It's not easy work. Remember, he was in prison when he wrote this letter. This is a prison epistle. And uh, it was difficult for him. There was a third century man who was anticipating death, and he penned these last words to a friend. Let me read them to you. He said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. 
They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. Isn't that beautiful? Remember that Jesus is the only one who can save us, and we need to trust him alone for our salvation. But we've got to make that decision to allow Christ to work in us to fulfill that salvation and sanctification. And that's God's desire for all of us so that we can be, what, complete in him, complete in him. And I believe it's as each of us make that decision in our lives to consciously allow his working in us that we're going to what? We're going to shine as luminaries. We're going to shine as the stars in this world. And we're going to be able to fulfill God's purpose in this world. God has a purpose for us being here. He's got a purpose for saving us. And we are the fulfillment of that purpose as we submit our lives to him. We do that today. We just say to him, I fully surrender to you. I just want you to be the Lord, the master, and the king of my life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for, for your word and allowing it to have an effect on our lives as, as we submit ourselves to doing your will. I pray, Lord, that those who have gathered here today and those listening online, Lord, they, they will just say to you, Lord Jesus, I submit my life to you completely and fully. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Allow me, Lord, to know the fullness, the, complete, the completion of my salvation as you work in me and as I submit myself to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.